Welcome to The Art of Growth, where we use the Enneagram and the best tools we can find to help you transform. This is Jim Zartman, and today Joel and I are continuing on this theme of Context Matters and talking about cultural overlays. We're moving along this theme of Context Matters because we're seeing how much the external factors influence who you are, influence how your type shows up, influences the way that you show up in every area of your life. So we need to understand how the culture, the setting we are in, can either double down on our type and be used as a confirming experience for what our type already values or how a lot of us felt actually at conflict with our environment. But before we get to that, you can check out our work at theartofgrowth.org. And if you haven't landed your Enneagram type yet, you can reach out to us for a typing interview there or you can take our free online test. We also have an instinctual variant test, and we've noticed that the instincts are a big part of this cultural overlay that shows up, but there'll be more on that later. Uh, the main thing we want people to know about this month is that we've launched the Art of Growth community where people who have been listeners to the podcast and going along for the ride as we've really learned together are gathering together a couple times a month right now, and that's at theartofgrowth.org. There's under classes and events, you can find the Art of Growth community page and you can sign up and meet together with people who are on a similar journey. But for right now, let's jump into this conversation that Joel and I had about cultural overlays up and meet together with people who are on a similar journey. But for right now, let's jump into this conversation that Joel and I had about cultural overlays. So Joel, there's something that we've come across consistently. We've noticed a lot. It happens often when we've been working with a couple of organizations recently and we're typing a large group of people. And we'll notice that the Enneagram type is consistent. We see it there. It's very present. But there's these nuances over it. And we've used this phrase, cultural overlays. So wherever someone's coming from, there are cultural overlays that influence how the type shows up. There are settings that they've been in that have added dynamics of another type that might be really high because of the context that they were in. So this is part of the context matters, but this thing, it always is showing up that there are cultural overlays that influence who we are. And depending on our type and who we are, they might have a more dominant presence even. So let's talk about this. We're going to go looking for this together. This isn't something that is really well explored, we don't feel like, or as we have, we've completely landed on all our thoughts on it, but it's, it's an important thing to bring up that when you're dealing with Enneagram types and people and personality and who we are is unavoidable to ignore mm-hmm. cultural overlay. Yeah. And this is kind of meta stuff. I know we're, we're talking about stuff that happens at a sort of nebulous space. It's archetypal in some cases. So it's very difficult to get it right down to the granular, like here's the edge, right? Mm -hmm. So we have a line between your type and your culture, or, you know, we have a type between your line and say your gender, or we have a line there for, you know, if you've got mental illness or something else, all sorts of overlays besides cultural overlays. And so we run into these quite a bit. Each one of us has it, you know, and, and how many times I've had people tell me, I've watched other types who are my type, but because they are, say, women or men, they have a different expression of it. Mm -hmm. 
or they come from a different part of the world or they you know could come from a different we subculture. did we did yeah we did typing yeah. for an organization not in the u.s and we asked the question about success with each one of them we're trying to do typing interviews so we're asking them you know, what's your relationship to success? How important is it for you? And every single one of them that I typed said, oh, it's it's very important. Mm. And um, and so, but not in the U.S., we don't get that as much. Because um, yeah, so, we often form it even as like, well, what does success mean to you? Mm-hmm. And we'll sort of do it in that nebulous way. But they gave answers that would sound t- more typically like a three. Yeah. You know, where it was there, there was this thing where you want to become, you know, achievement, goals met, mm-hmm. all of that that you would typically see in a three. But these are not necessarily threes, but the culture they are living in said you need to be. Yeah. Ma- this matters. It was a gentleman many years ago I typed who was uh, from southern India, but had spent quite a few years in the U.S. getting his education and so forth. So he still very much had the Indian cultural overlay. But when I typed him, I asked him the question as I start off with the uh, sort of in the order of the three, six, nine, you know, Mm -hmm. so start with type three. And I'm asking him questions around that. And I said, how important is success? Oh, hugely important. Hugely important. Okay. So how important is it to have goals? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I have goals. Definitely want to achieve things. Mm. Well, it ended up being that he's a type five. Mm -hmm. And he 100% related with the five. It was a dead ringer for him. But the way I got there was I had to actually work through the cultural overlay mm. and finding out for him and the way he was raised, success was everything. He had to succeed. You know, his yeah. parents were sort of middle upper class and they had these expectations for him. And for him, it was much more a fascinating thing. It was much more about competency than mm. the way, you know, maybe a, a type three might express the desire for oh, success. Interesting. Okay. Know? Because, yeah, I want to be seen, you know, I want to be competent enough. Type threes totally resonate with this as well. But it was competency in the headspace, you know, and having the the perspective and the resources and the research and so forth is very much in the headspace. Yeah. So this is what we run into quite a bit, depending upon, you know, the culture someone is is from or let's say even the, the culture in the U.S., depending upon, again, where you are from in the U.S. Mm-hmm. can play a role in that. Mm. We've run into female type eights, but because of the culture they were raised in. Where yeah. they were told you can't, you know, you can't be that. Like yeah. You need to be a more gentle, smiling, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, submissive in some cases, some of these cultures. So they were forced into acting more like a two. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's that's a significant cultural overlay that's that impacted yeah. them. And Yeah, and they've so, had yeah. to find other ways to let that out. We've yeah. seen this with yeah. people who give a lot of answers about morality mm. and the the right way to live who are just in a conservative religious environment. They're not really a type one, uh, but the culture has shown up so strongly that they can answer like that. And so I think yeah. this is, I think this is one of the reasons that a lot of online tests fail is because there's no listening to the nuance of what someone says and so I've seen this a lot, that people from a conservative religious background type as a one on tests, online tests. Mm-hmm. But if they're being observed in person, like, oh, there's no way that you're a one. Yeah. Because of the cultural overlay being so strong that can that can actually really show up on tests. I think it's one of the main things that's, that skews tests. But that's neither here nor there. But there's this, this can't be avoided, that you have received other messages that have integrated into your type. Now, maybe 
it has helped you to integrate uh, a bit more of another type. You know, I've seen that. So someone who is not this type, but they're around this culture, it helps integrate that type more. But I've also seen where it doubles down on the type, mm-hmm. where they are that type of person in that kind of an environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. it sort of, the environment really feeds the type. So it, it doubles down. So some of you grew up and you, you're like, I grew up in the wrong era. You know, <laughs> I should have yeah. grown up in the 60s or, you know, <laughs> there's people yeah, like yeah. that. Like the certain cultures appeal to you. You feel like you're, I don't feel at home in, in this world or that. And that does really show up. And it's just really interesting to see how it can influence type. I almost see it like the Enneagram symbol is the circle. Cultural overlay is like a circle of another shade that goes on top. And then it provides this other color because mm-hmm. it creates one of those variations. And that's something that we've been really interested in, like how the variations that show up within the types, whether that be instincts with the panel series um, or, or some other things. But it does, it, it, you get these different hues and shades when you get these cultural overlays on the type. Yeah. You know, as we live in a oh, Western yeah. culture, so intellect and like logic has been highly valued and emotion's been relatively undervalued in a lot of the culture. And then that that starts to come up and, you know, who knows in certain cultures, will that, that then become dominant and will they become more suspicious of intellect or action? Like, it's very weird how these things can play on top of each other. You know, it just reminded me of a, a friend of mine. We were having this conversation and a few years ago was doing a typing interview for him and when we were talking about privacy, he said, oh, yeah, that's a that's huge. I, I have to be private because of my job, because of the way I was raised. And he's raised in a different uh, part of the world where the things are very unsafe. So you might typically have been thinking type five with that language. Well, it la- it turned out he is a five. Now, this is oh, where it's interesting, interesting okay. how you t- you're talking about how the culture can actually sometimes double down, the culture can actually, you take messages from the culture. Yeah. Okay, so the messages that he believed he took from the culture were what formed him as a five. And then on top of that, his race, being a person of color. So he's taking all of this and saying that's what shaped him and formed him. And then when we started talking about personality and I put him with a bunch of other fives, he said, wow, I'm stunned because they're very different than I am. Didn't grow up like I did and yet share some same core motivations mm. that I have. And so now he was able to see what parts were really formed from the messages he took and why did he take, why did he hear those messages perhaps more so than somebody else would have, who was also raised in the same culture as he was. But even if you weren't his type, even if you're type seven and you were raised in his culture, you would have still heard those messages. Yeah, you may not. It may not have had the same impact on you because maybe you're not oriented towards privacy as a seven. Yeah. But because of not only the culture, the overlay there, but also his type, he could now see that there's a lot of it that was his type. Mm. And that gave us a measure of like, oh, wow, insight into maybe there's some things that are just me and the way I am, (laughs) you know? Yeah. And there's some things maybe I can change, you know, Mm. as a result of that. So it's a really fascinating thing when you start to look at those two things and understand in what ways is it double down on your type? Yeah. In what ways does it come against your type? Yeah. And how you've had to adapt. So you can either really dig in because your culture matches your type. Yeah. And that can create a stuckness. Or it can work against your type. And then you 
can't be who you are. So you try to put on something else. Either way, you're not living in integration. Mm. It's done more in, in the space of, you know, trying to survive. Yeah. So those are some of the things that we've observed with cultural overlays. There's one thing I wanted to ask you about, because one of the things that we've talked about is the psychological need to be okay, to feel safe. Am I safe in my world? Mm -hmm. Right. And I think sometimes for people, the cultural overlay made them feel safe. Like I feel safer in this world because of the way it looks and it flows naturally with who I am. And for others, they feel like who I am isn't really welcome in the world that I was born or yeah. I was raised in. And so I, I feel safer by leaving it. So, and I don't know, I don't know what to do with that because sometimes I feel like, it, you know, someone stayed too long in a world and you just, you bought into it and you're all fine with it. And so you're not really questioning things that maybe need to be questioned, you know, cause you feel safe here. Yeah. Right. And then other people, it's like, I didn't feel safe. I didn't work in my environment. So I got out of there and it's like, well, you, you kind of burned that bridge maybe a little prematurely. <laughs> and so I don't know, there's this thing about that cultural overlay and safety that I'm kind of like playing with. I don't know what to do with. Mm. Yeah. We've had people move from, we had a friend that moved from Brazil and did his PhD work in the States Yeah, then ended up here and said, this is totally my culture. Yes. <laughs> in Massachusetts. Yeah. Massachusetts. Right. Totally. Like <laughs> yeah. loved it. Right. You know, you moved over from Ohio and felt the yeah. same. Like this is. Yeah. I say my body settled when I got here because it felt like way more comfortable. I didn't feel like I was in conflict with my environment, mm. which was always wanting to kind of tamp down the energy. And here it's just kind of like people, the energy is, there's an intensity to, yeah. to, the, yeah. to a city like this. But it's one of those things where like, I'm still dealing with that whole, like the safety piece of it though. That There's a comfort piece for sure okay. for, for yeah. us in that. Yeah. But I think there's other ways that, you know, being raised in a particular way wasn't necessarily safe for me because it said like who you naturally are wired to be isn't welcome in this environment. Mm, and right. I think a lot of people emotionally, the cultural overlay has impacted them painfully in that way. Absolutely. I think if, I think again, you can, it can either double down and make you stuck because it confirms and affirms who you are, yeah. even in your unhealthy ways of being mm. or family environments in which you're the only one who is the way you are, mm. like both by type and by stance and by instinct. Hey, we wanted to pause right in the middle of this conversation to let you know about the Art of Growth community, which has started now and you can be a part of. The Art of Growth community is where people who have been on this Enneagram journey and have been part of the learning community of the Art of Growth are gathering together. They're coming together to share their lives, to have conversations around the themes of each month and making commitments of how to move forward during this time. So if you would benefit from the community, the accountability, the relationship with other people who have been on this journey as well, go to theartofgrowth.org under classes and events, go to the Art of Growth community and sign up. You can cancel anytime, but it's a good place to have a private forum to interact with other people in the community about what's going on in your life and a, a good place to gather and have a conversation a couple times a month. All of this, as well as ways to reach out to us for coaching, is at theartofgrowth.org. So think about that for a moment. Like if you're, if you're surrounded by people who do not share your dominant instinct yep. or your stance or your type, 
And you're raised in that environment. Your first experience of being alive is you're raised in I'm that an world. Outsider. Yeah. You will forever feel like there's something wrong with you. Yeah. It's just it's just difficult. It's impossible. That's your world. That seems normal. Ooh, hello, close to home. <laughs> yeah. Man. Well, hey, you I might be yourself speaking about myself. Speaking, there. No, I, think, I, think, I know. Well, that's the thing is we can't avoid that. So I think yeah. But I want to acknowledge yeah. both pain points because I think yeah. we've experienced that particular pain point of being like, there's a whole subculture here and we don't fit into it. And so it led to us like pulling away from certain subculture. But I, I think I get more worried about people who totally fit, who totally fit in their world. They yeah. probably don't listen to us, but like they're so, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. they're so comfortable in yeah. like yeah. those messages and everything like this makes me feel fine and safe. And so I don't want to rock the boat or mess anything up. Yeah. Well, you know, being from, you know, in my case, being in a family of five kids and I'm the only assertive type. And out of all five. Out of all five. And out of the parents? The same. Yeah. So one for seven. Yeah. Yeah. So that's hard. That's hard on them as it is on me. Mm. So it's just recognizing that like, yes, I can complain about, wow, it was so hard for me. But it was hard for them too. Like dealing with a personality that doesn't fit within the system. So many of you have had that experience. I, I would suggest that I think everybody has had that experience. Even at if some point you're, in time. yeah, at yeah, some point, in time. okay. Even if you're raised in an environment that is fairly supportive, you're always going to feel a sense of I don't quite fit. I don't quite belong here. Well, right? if you ever went to middle school, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, yes. Um, that's just a rough world. That's just an ever, no one fits world, no. except for like two people. Yeah. And then they, they don't know what to do with themselves when they turn 30. Yeah, so. but have you noticed even in the places where there's like clicks? I have watched clicks and been like entered into them and out of yeah. them and into them. And, out. and even in the clicks, the people are pretty rough on each other. It's not like a, yeah. it's not like a warm and fuzzy space. No. So I don't know. I think belonging is a, a sense that people are always seeking regardless right. of their type stance, instinct, mm -hmm. cultural overlay certainly plays a role as you're describing in creating values in a culture around which then if you fit within those values or you own those same values, well, you feel a little bit more like you, you belong, you feel mm -hmm. a little bit more, but it's not the belonging that you really need at the deep level. I think that that's a different thing. I think you, you need to, you know, borrowing from Brene Brown, belonging has to start first with yourself. Like you have to belong to yourself, yeah. you know, and start there. Well, it's, that's such a hard thing. Like I totally agree with that, but I get stuck on like that. But I am this amalgamation of, of all my these culture. Other oh, yeah. A hundred percent. Yes. So it's like yes. the belonging to self. Like there's a concept that I really like there, but there's also this roadblock of like, but I am so influenced by these worlds. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like in, in weird ways, like the fact that yeah. I grew up around a lot of Koreans, like have this weird thing where you know, like you would try to come to the, to the house for breakfast last week and I'm making eggs and I'm like, anybody want kimchi on their eggs? And immediately it's like, wait a minute. Oh, right. This is weird for other people. Yeah. But it's totally normal in my house because I grew up in it. And even that smell of kimchi is very nostalgic for me. Mm -hmm. So like belonging for me is like, it's this context that I came from. That belonging piece is, I want to explore this a lot over the, in the next couple of years, but like how, how we get there, mm -hmm. right? How do we get to that sense? Because I think we've all felt that lack of belonging. Hopefully we've had some experience where we really felt like we belonged. And what does it mean to belong to yourself? Mm -hmm. yep. What does that mean? Yeah. And I think this, it starts, you know, again, by nuancing and, you know, when we go on this journey, many people begin to 
uh, separate out the different parts of who they are, right? It's part of the creating some sense of uh, order. Who am I? What mm. formed me? I mean, even the whole thing of finding out your, you know, your DNA and where you came from and mm. that whole craze is all part of the sense of what are the different parts of me so that I can understand how I fit and belong in this world mm. or to myself. And a lot of it is culture. You know, who, where did I come from? What's my, what influenced me? What did I take in internally? And I think that's a part of understanding how to then make peace with some of those parts, how to let go of some things. But I think that that's a big part of helping us to move more towards, I want to bring all these pieces, I want to separate them out to see them, to look at them. And then I want to bring them back together in some measure. Mm. You know, some of it I'm going to leave out because it mm. is not helpful to me. I like that. And then bring it back together to that unity again, because we are parts and we're a whole. Yeah. And those are things that are always in, in this dynamic interplay within us. Mm. So I have all these parts that are playing off of each other within me that create this who I am. Yeah. And sometimes I need to go back to look at them to say, geez, do I really understand what has formed me? Who am I? And then, okay, let's bring them back together again. Mm. And some pieces I'm going to, I'm we'll just going to say, yeah, that's, yeah. I, don't, I don't need this for this next leg of the journey. Yeah. It's that learning of that's not mine. Yeah. It's like, here's all these parts and like, I'm going to keep that. This part over here, uh, that's not mine anymore. Maybe that's, that's the exploration of belonging to self is like taking all of those little parts and like saying, well, which, which parts are mine? Which parts of that culture do I think? Like, I really valued that. That was really hmm. consistent. Yeah. Even if I've chucked a whole thing that I used to be a part of, what were the aspects of that that were actually really good for me, really beneficial? Which ones of those could I actually welcome back home? Yeah. You know, and which parts I can go, I can set them free. That's not really mine anymore. I think it's understanding these overlays, the different parts. But I love that kind of image of the sorting process. And it's not so much do I want it, do I not want it, but it's like this is consistent. This is in line with my purpose, with my meaning, with my essence of who I am. Mm. Yeah. And this I can, I can welcome back with open arms without hesitation. Then I feel that sense of kind of belonging in that welcoming those parts as part of the whole. Yeah. 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 I had a moment uh, uh, some years back where I took a class on culture and part of the exercise was you had to name your culture of upbringing. Hmm. And I thought, culture, I don't have a culture. I'm white. I was raised here in the U.S., you know. And, of course, I immediately remembered, oh, yeah, right. I grew up speaking French first, you know, right. very Parisian in the way I was raised. So, okay. Oh, yeah, that's true. That That's a part of me. And then a, further exercises were like you had to do something we had to really reflect on some questions like language, what words were meaningful to you and impactful to you mm. in your native tongue. And so, and, oh man, all of a sudden I start feeling emotion. Like, mm -hmm. what is going on here? Why am I feeling all this emotion? And I remember writing down that I had rejected a significant part of my culture because of some early experiences, some early woundings. And the process of reintegrating it was so powerful for me of 
bringing it back in as part of my story, not as this is who I am. Like this is, it's really was so important for me to do this. Like I'm not Parisian French. That's a part of who I am. I'm not American. It's a part of who I am. Mm. I'm not a seven. It's a part of who I am. Mm. You know, these are parts. They're not the whole. Right. And initially it was a, I don't want certain parts. Right. But to welcome them back in as, no, they, they actually did play a role. Like I was raised a certain way that was, that in some ways was wonderful in some ways was not so wonderful. And what do I do with the not so wonderful parts? Hmm. Can I, can I welcome them as being part of what influenced and created or impacted the, my formation had some kind of role in that. And when I can say, yes, it, it did. And I can look at it again. The very acceptance of it does not mean I'm identifying with it. In fact, the funny thing about it is it's the opposite. When The more that we reject these parts, the more staying power they have. But when I say, yes, that is, that is a part of my formation. Yep, that's true. And I relax into that, that oh, its power so over me diminishes significantly. And it still stays as part of this incredible tapestry that has formed who I am. And without having the subversive effect that it does when I'm in the act of rejecting it. Mm. I just so powerful what you just said about like acceptance isn't mean it's my identity. Yeah. And in fact, trying to dismiss, it can actually have a greater hold. And that is so powerful when it comes to cultural overlays. Like it's actually acceptance that allowed for more of your integration because just yeah. because I accept it doesn't mean I, that it's my identity. Right. Like your identity is not being a seven, but it's a part of it. Yeah. Just as all the other things are. Yeah. 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 That's super powerful. I think that's freeing for people. If they can be like, I can accept this and accepting it doesn't mean it's my identity. Yeah. It means it's part. Yeah. And I get to keep the parts that are really valuable to me. Right. Yeah. That's freeing. Yeah, and so wherever you are, you might be at a place where you had to reject it for a period of time. It was the safest thing you could do. I get that. We all have had to do that. But if you're being invited into accepting some of these parts back in, mm. then do that and see what it can do for you. But this process is a process we're all engaged in, which is this, I need to separate some things out first. I need to get rid of things. I can't, can't see this part because it's too painful. Or I don't want to do anything with it. I don't want to be identified with any of that. Like right. that behavior that I experienced when I was a child, the way my parents treated me, the way my cultural uh, environment treated me or treated each other or the way they their values. I disagree with their values entirely. So I want to shift and go in a different direction. Okay, fine. That's absolutely what you needed to do. And then there's a, a starting to go back to those parts because they're still in you. You can't, you can't reject, you can't get rid of those parts of, of who you are. They're still in there. But what you can do is to look at them again, and if you're ready, and then you look at them, and then you observe them, and then again, you make peace with them, and you accept that they were part of your formation. Mm-hmm. And then in doing so, you go back to the whole way of looking at yourself. Like, I'm a, these are all parts of, of who I am, but mm-hmm. they are not me. And then you can get back to taking, again, taking the things that you need with you into this next part of the journey. And other parts that you say, yeah, that influenced me, that impacted me. But I don't need this part to come along with me for this next part of the journey. And see what that does for you. And again, 
let the path tell you. None of us can tell you what you should do or shouldn't do. But I think it's important for us to be aware that the path has this fascinating way of bringing stuff up for us at the weirdest times. And for us to respond to those things, I think, is what the path is asking us to do. So thank you so much for listening, for joining us. It's an honor to have you with us. If you leave us a review on iTunes, it helps people find the show, which is a huge help to us. And make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss anything that's coming up. You can follow us on Instagram at just Art of Growth. And you can reach out to us at theartofgrowth.org if there's anything on your mind or anything we can help with. That's also the place to reach out to us if you're interested in having us work with your organization and doing some Enneagram training to see how much it can affect your team. But for now, my friends, may you become more aware, aware of all the different influences that surround you. May your eyes be opened to the pushes and pulls that have come, not just from inside, but from the external as well, and how you have reacted and responded to those cultural overlays, to those things in your life. May you take note and increase awareness so you may increase your capacity to design the life you value. Grace and growth, my friends.